good morning, everyone. Thank you. Kind of scattered, but that's okay. Uh, we are starting, uh, I'm Pastor Mark, by the way, and we are starting a new series that uh, I actually started thinking about uh, several, several months ago uh, after having uh, been able to sit under the teaching of Pastor Dan and Pastor Eric um, several times and just seeing how uh, God has, has blessed them as of communicators of God's Word and also sitting there and listening to them and as they would uh, talk about Scripture and, and uh, give insight to it, uh, not once ever in the many times that I've heard them teach that I would have made the same point or the same connection or anything like that, which is actually not a bad thing. I mean, it was completely valid and wonderful, their, their insight, and it really challenged me and, and stretched me. And I was just praying through this and, and, and thinking about, wow, wouldn't that be awesome if we could figure out some way for the three of us to be able to come together and communicate God's Word and heart and mind on a, on a certain topic, a uh, biblical topic, uh, and and be able to convey that together in one Sunday, and uh, came up with this idea of three. There's three guys, and uh, they're all bald, uh, and like that. That was the image and and everything. And then I was like so proud of uh, Pastor Eric uh, for sh- shaving his head to go along with the branding. I mean, that's commitment. And uh, I was thinking, all right, you know, I usually speak for 30, 35 minutes. And uh, so I said, well, three times nine is, is 27, and, you know, kind of give some room for, you know, something to go left or right or, or haywire. So came up with this idea that, hey, let, let's talk about a certain uh, biblical topic. And each one of us will just take nine minutes just to really share what God has put on our hearts and minds, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do this, and we're not gonna uh, talk together before it. That that we're gonna trust the Holy Spirit that he he is going to put together a complete message for for our community. And one of the beautiful things about this, and I, I don't know if uh, if you would if you would pick up on this, but but. The reason that we can do this is because I and they, we have an enormous amount of trust of each other that, that, that uh, just through the life of our, our ministries here at E3, that, that we've come to a place where we can rely on one another and, and, and be able to say, you know what, we, can, we three men can come together and communicate God's word, and it's actually we are able, we trust that we can be at a place where it's actually not the individual speaking, but the Holy Spirit actually speaking through each and every one of us to give our community uh, uh, what God wants us to hear this day. And I, after uh, last gathering, I really feel that happened. So uh, I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Eric's going to come up and, and start us. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at biblical community today. And just to, just to warn you, I, it is like drinking out of a fire hose. I just, uh, I, I was like, I was so tense through the, the, the you know, just listening to them and, and just like all this great stuff. And uh, uh, so 
hopefully, uh, you know, just open up your minds and just be ready to be challenged. So you pray with me. Dear Lord, uh, you are so awesome, and I just uh, thank you so much for uh, bringing Pastor Eric and, and Pastor Dan and, and, and Trace and, and uh, just all, all these uh, just different people and just uh, uh, everyone who serves here to, that, that forms your church here, that everyone uh, contributes and, and makes this place a unique place that, that just follows hard after you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So as people, I don't think we have much trouble with nouns. Nouns are easy. Stool, right? That is a noun, correct? Awesome stool? Ooh. When you introduce adjectives and combine them with nouns, things get a little bit more debatable. Movie. Now, good movie, matter of personal opinion. Nouns are easy for us. And so uh, adjectives challenge us. Adjectives set expectations. Adjectives introduce debate and perspective. And so we have this topic today, biblical community. Community, noun, easy. We understand, I hope, that we are part of a community. If you look around a room, some of us are in close relationships with each other, some of us not so close, but we are a community, and God calls us that way to be a community. The rub and the challenge is always the adjective. It's the biblical community. That introduces a whole new level of expectations to us. How do you take a group of people and make them sort of worthy of that adjective, worthy of being called a biblical community, worthy of being called a Christian community. That's our challenge. And we could spend weeks upon weeks looking at all the aspects of what makes a biblical community. There are probably as many different aspects to being a biblical community as there are pages of the Bible. You know, biblical community is intentional. It's missional. It's a part of God's missional mission in the world. It's honest. It's loving. It's caring. It's compassionate. Every aspect of God that is described in the Bible is part of being a biblical community. Um, where I'd like to land today is to talk about a biblical community as being a committed community. Because that is one sort of difference between the wider culture and maybe the way they envision community, especially in a Facebook world where community can be broken with the click of a mouse, defriended, bam, unfollowed, bam. But a biblical community is, stays committed to each other. At the same time it stays committed, it is widely diverse and um, Mark kind of set this up for me last week when he spoke about, uh, spoke, I think, out of 1 Corinthians. And Paul's writing to this church at Corinth. And the first church was, was made up of people who were from Jewish cultural backgrounds and non-Jewish cultural backgrounds. And food and what was acceptable to eat was 
a huge issue to this community. And so Mark talked about how uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to this community and trying to get them to negotiate. Hey, some of you feel okay eating this food. Some of you don't. And here's some ways you have to be a committed community. You can't divide yourselves over this issue of food. And uh, we look at that and go like, well, what's the deal with food? But we have our own equivalents today. We have the things in our world that we divide over. Movies, uh, drinking, what, uh, what is acceptable music. So there's these things that we look and go like, well, I think this is okay for me, but it's not okay for this other person. And how do you stay committed? Because most of the culture would just say, well, you know, why bother? Just go somewhere else where you can be made up of, where you can kind of exist where people just are all like you. And Mark um, kind of talked out of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to kind of talk out of a different letter that the Apostle Paul also wrote to a church, and it was to a church in Rome. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it to Romans chapter 14, and they'll also be on the side screens, the scripture will be. So Paul writes this, starting in verse 1. Accept other believers who are weak in faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. There it is. But another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. So Paul sets this whole food thing up again. And he talks about it through the rest of chapter 14. But what does he say right there off the bat that I think is challenging to us? He says, accept other believers. And then here's the deal. Not just accept them, but don't argue with them. I think it's so easy when, when we're existing in a world with other people to go like, yeah, I know you disagree with me, but let me tell you why you're wrong. Let me tell you why you should come around to my point of view. And Paul kind of says, there may be a time and a season for that, but what I'm telling you right now is you just need to accept them. Don't argue. And furthermore, he goes on in chapter 15, because he's continued this argument the whole way through, and he kind of closes things up this way. He says, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. And then finally in verse 7, Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. So Paul kind of sets it up this way that um, if you're strong, in Paul's kind of language here, you don't have a problem with eating. If you're strong, in our words, you can go see any type of movie you want to see. It's not going to bother your conscience. You can have a drink at dinner. It's not going to bother your conscience. Paul says there's other people out there who are weak, and it's not a value statement. It's just like their conscience is not the same as yours. They can't have that drink at dinner for whatever reason in their past. And furthermore, if they see you having a drink at dinner, it's going to mess them up. If they know that you're seeing a movie that's kind of questionable, it's going to mess them up. So what does Paul say? He says, accept each other, don't argue, and then furthermore, accept each other like Christ accepted us. And if you pause and think about that for a second, that is kind of like a what moment? Because listen to this. Uh, Christ didn't accept us because we were strong. Christ didn't accept us because we um, could kind of get our minds around what he was doing. Christ accepted us in our weakness and made himself 
a servant to us in order to bring us into his family. And Paul's saying, like, for those of you who are strong, when you rub up against people who, are, who, who may not deal as well with the things that you're able to deal with, Paul says, don't think about the way the world does this. Think about the cross. Think about the moment when Jesus emptied himself out as a servant to say, no, I will serve you and bring you into this thing I'm doing. So um, one writer I've been reading calls this uh, willed passivity. And it's this concept of like sometimes love demands that we put down the things that we're so strong at, the things that we're so good at. Sometimes love demands that as we interact with people and they go, why did you see that movie? Why did you drink this? We go, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. I need to ask forgiveness. I want to close with two questions that I've learned to ask myself that really gives uh, arms and uh, legs to this. And I put this in my vernacular, so bear with me. Two questions if you, that you should learn if you want to really live out biblical community. Dude, would you mind if blank, 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 blank. Dude, would you mind if I had a drink at dinner? Dude, would you mind if I saw this movie? The world would just say, just do it. Biblical community demands that we have a conversation about it, that we not assume that you can deal with this as well as maybe my conscience can. And then on the flip side of things, you should learn this. Dude, did it bother you when I did something like, you know, whatever it might have been? And it just introduces this dialogue, and it introduces space for people to have conversations about this. And this is the way to live out biblical community. Amen. There's no doubt that community is the heartbeat of the human experience. Community is the heartbeat of the human experience. We look around us and we see leagues and clubs. We look around us and we see all of these different forums for us to be able to engage and facilitate community life. Bars and parks and gyms and restaurants and concerts and sporting events and all of these things. Community is the heartbeat of the human experience. And you only have to open up the Bible to page one to find out why. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. And God, in the story of creation and onward from cover to cover, expresses himself as a, as a communal God, as a triune God, as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And us being made in his image, we have been given that same passion, that same desire for relationship. Community is the heartbeat of the human experience. And as we begin to examine what biblical community is, Because biblical community is meant to be something other than. It's meant to be something different. It's meant to be something than just the the default, the way that we think about the human experience and how we go about our lives and how we express our affections. It has this definition, biblical. But what does that mean? There's five things that as we get into this uh, section of Scripture in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's five things that I've found in there that show us... um, Actions of biblical community. Give generously. Love transparently. Hope endlessly. Speak truth boldly. Submit selflessly. If you open up your Bibles, then we're going to find, as we go through these things, 
as God has expressed himself in the way that he relates to the world around him that he created, this is the standard that we are called to live for. The thing about community, the thing about the way that we express ourselves is, is that God, in, in defining who he is, he's much more than a noun, he's much more than just a person, but he always has action. He always has a verb. He is the God who is, who is in, the, in the process of making community around him by sustaining, by providing, by seeking, by calling, by working all things together for our good. This is how he expresses himself. And he defines himself in, in the book of Exodus to Moses by saying, I am who I am. Or in the New Living Translation, it says, I am the one who always is doing these things, acting for our benefit, seeking, calling, pouring out his grace and pouring out his mercy. The thing about us as we get into community is we, in, and we see the way that God expresses himself, we understand that our affections affect the way that we act. Our affections begin to define the things that we believe and reveal the things that we believe. And so as I, as I live in community, uh, I find that, well, how am I relating to the people around me? Am I giving generously? Am I speaking truth boldly? Am I, am I um, loving transparently, hoping endlessly? Am I submitting selflessly? And here in 2 Corinthians, God gives us some very clear expression of the way that he does these things. In verse 14, he starts out, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old life we used to live. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they will live to please Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks about them. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, but as though he were merely a human being, how differently I think about him now. What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore. For the old life is gone, a new life has begun. All this newness of life is from God, who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him better defined as the ministry of reconciliation. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors, and God is using us to speak to you. We urge you as though Christ himself were pleading with you, be reconciled to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering of our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Here he is, he is expressing himself, he's putting on flesh, he's going and seeking out the world, he's drawing other people to himself. And for us who are going to be defined by that, for us who are going to follow his example, for us who are going to say, I am Christian, I am Christ-like, then I have to understand that there's no place, there's no room in the good news, there's no place in the gospel of Jesus Christ for me to draw a line in the sand and say, well, this is as far as I'm going to love you. This is as far as I'm going to bear with you. This is as far as I'm going to suffer for you. This is as far as, as I am called to be a minister of good news to you. There's only one exception to that, and it's given by Jesus himself, and he says, in the specific case of the physical act of sexual adultery, then 
then you can have separation. Then you can draw the line in the sand. Why? And he gives us the clue into our hearts. He said it's because of the hardness of our heart. But for us who are going to be in biblical community, for us who are going to say, I'm going to be defined by God, I'm going to reconcile my life, the things that I think, the things that I feel, the things that I do, I'm going to reconcile my life to Christ with Him as a standard. For us, there's, there's no place for me to say, well, this is where I'm offended with you. This is where my rights step in. That isn't the example that we've been given through Jesus Christ. Community is the heartbeat of the human experience, but biblical community is restricted by our affections. The things that we choose to do. One of my favorite songwriters is Derek Webb, and, and he put it this way in a simple line. He says, I'm trading comfort for human life. That's not just murder, it's suicide. Trading the comforts and the things that I desire and the things that I want and the things that I feel and, I'm, and, and essentially not putting myself on the altar, not, not putting myself as an example of Jesus Christ, but saying, I'm willing to trade you. I'm willing to trade the things that you think and the things that you feel for my own comfort. And what this does in effect, this God who is communal and who has established a pattern for us to, to draw into fellowship with Him and who has gone to given us the, the most generous gift ever through Jesus Christ in dying for us while we were far from Him. What He has done to set up a, as, as Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren to, to draw people into community, to draw people into family. If we say, well, guess what? This is where grace ends in my relationship. This is where my forgiveness ends. This is where my hope that you would be reconciled to God ends. This is where my belief and my faith in Jesus Christ, this is where it ends concerning you. Then essentially what I've done is I've cut off Jesus. Essentially what I've done is I neuter Jesus. And I say, God, I will have no part in your redemptive work in the world. One of the greatest aspects, I believe, of biblical community is I get to walk with so many of you day in and day out, talk about your life and talk about your challenges and talk about the brokenness of your relationships. One of the greatest aspects is being able to see the miracle of people submitting themselves selflessly to God's design and saying, I will no longer carry around this body of death. I will walk in new life. I will live to please my God and my Savior. Amen? Biblical community, when it is being lived out, I don't believe that this side of heaven that we ever are able to experience what it will be like to be in perfect fellowship with God. Last week we got to celebrate with seven different people being baptized and sharing the, about their, their, their God journey, their life journey uh, here and uh, their different interactions and different people who have come into their lives and encouraged them to live out 
uh, their, their faith and to live out the vision that God has for their lives. One story in particular, Sunday night, last Sunday night, a uh, young lady was, was sharing how she had messed up academically at FSU a couple of times and, and had kind of washed out and she had decided to give it one more try and FSU said, all right, this is your last try. You can, you can come in and, and you can do it. You know, you can try one more time, but you're on academic probation. She told a story how life kept on coming in and she was ready just to give up. And in a vulnerable moment, she was sharing with her, with her growth group that, that she was going to give up and that they came around her and they encouraged her and loved her and refocused her on to the goal of, of graduating with her degree. And through, through that interaction and through that encouragement, she is going to be graduating this spring. You know, Biblical Community, it's the only organization on earth that is designed to be able to speak into every aspect of a follower of Christ's life. N.T. Wright says that Jesus didn't save our souls. He saved our holes. Everything. Our our intellect, He saved. Our hearts and our emotions, He saved. He did indeed save our spirit and our souls and, and our bodies as temples for reconciliation with of Him and to help us be the tangible hand of Christ to a lost and hurting world. And as I thought about this biblical community, not just community, but what it means to be a biblical community, uh, the Holy Spirit led me into Colossians in chapter 3. And God tells us this, He says, Since you are the holy people that God loves, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves with what? He says, clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. To with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. He goes on to say, make allowances for one another's faults and forgive those who offend you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, though, he says, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together, binds all these things, binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts and always be thankful. And I think encompassed in this scripture here that we have the characteristics of a biblical community. He first talks about tender-hearted mercy, and I think so often that we use English words, we use words, we think we know what they mean, but we really don't know specifically what they mean. And I think that, that God's trying to communicate something to us, so this is what you're meant to be about, this is what biblical community is about. 
Previously in that scripture, he talks about what just community is, what normal community is. But he's saying this is what biblical community is. Those who God loves who are coming together. Tenderhearted means this, easily moved. Easily moved. Not hard to move, but easily moves. Just kind of moves into love, pity, or, or sorrow. And mercy is compassion. So we have this idea, this first characteristic of biblical community is to be easily moved into compassion, to actually be able to feel the pain of the people who you are in biblical community with. When they have heartache, you feel it. When they have joy, you feel it. When they have success, you cheer with them. When they have failures, you come alongside them, you pick them up, and you help them take one more step forward. Tenderhearted mercy. Next one is kindness. This idea of, of, of this gentleness, this kindness of, of helping one another. The third one is humility. Humility is an interesting thing. You know, we all know false humility. But what is real humility? Real humility is not being aggressive or arrogant or, or uh, assertive about who you are and over somebody else. And in biblical community, there's not room for that. We have to come to the table and say, you know what? I have this, this area in my life and you have this area in your life. And that we are going to inspire one another, that we are going to allow our lives to intertwine. And we are going to do this life together. And I'm not going to lord over you what I'm better at. And the deal is, the social contract is also that you don't lord over me what you're good at. But together, we make up one body of believers. Gentleness, free from harshness or sternness. That biblical community is not a place where, where you are just slapped down for when you make a mistake, but quite differently that people come alongside you and encourage you to live out the vision that God has for your life. I like this, patience. This is the definition of patience. Bearing pains of trials, calamity without complaint. It's not bearing trials with complaint, it's without complaint. There's no, oh yeah, I'm going to do this, and yeah, you're really putting me out. But, oh yeah, you know, I'm not doing, you know, I'm not able to go to the ball game because, you know, you need this. But to bear it without complaint and say, you know what, I am here for you. You know, it also goes on to say, making allowances for one another's faults. You know, I'm entrepreneurial. I, I like to see, the, you know, like do new things and tackle new things. But I'm not detail-oriented. And that means that, that our community has made an allowance for that fault, that thing that's shortcoming and saying, you know what, Mark, that's okay, and we're going to bring people alongside you to help you be more detail-oriented. It says, above all, Love. Love is the glue that holds this all together. 
And finally, be thankful. And thankfulness is fulfilling yourself with the good, not starving yourself with the bad, because you can always focus on the bad. And it's the most unbiblical and, and unfulfilling thing that you can do. God calls us to be thankful and to focus on the good. Will you guys pray with me? Dear Lord, I just thank you for just this place that we're not just a community, but we're a biblical community. And no, we're not perfect, and we don't get it right every single time. But we are striving. That it is our desire collectively to live out what you've called us to do, to take ownership of the vision that you have entrusted to us. God, let us be a place that that is the very image of what you envisioned as your church. We love you, Lord Jesus.